Well, my text for this morning is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, starting at verse 31. And so if you have your Bibles with you, open up to that spot. Uh, But before we come to God's word, let's just come before the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the great and precious gift of your word. We thank you that because we have your word, we have your voice. Because we have your word, you can speak to us. Well, we can hear your voice anytime we come to the word. And that's a great encouragement to us, Lord. That's a great gift to us. And so we just pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand that word and to receive that word with open and loving hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder if any of you are familiar with a little bit of reasoning that is sometimes called the duck test. The reasoning goes like this. If it looks like a duck, swims like a duck, and quacks like a duck, then it probably is a duck. Now, the philosophers and the logicians in this room will probably be quick to point out that this is not a watertight, ironclad, unassailable kind of reasoning. They will point out that every once in a while, as Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck have taught us, that sometimes you find a rabbit pretending to be a duck and a duck pretending to be a rabbit. Nevertheless, it also must be pointed out that we human beings make our way through the world by by employing uh, this sort of logic. When we wake up in the morning and greet our family and colleagues, we assume that we are greeting our family and colleagues because the things before us look like them, sound like them, and feel like them. Or to use another example, when you wake up in the morning and make your pot of tea, you take down off the shelf that certain receptacle that looks like a teapot, feels like a teapot, and holds tea like a teapot. Uh, It's best to assume that it is a teapot if it looks like one. St. Mark, uh, the man who wrote the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, is using that same sort of reasoning to show us that Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Old Testament scriptures, that Jesus is the great Savior that God had promised the world. In a way, you could say that St. Mark is showing us that Jesus passed the Messiah test. It's almost as if St. Mark is saying to us, Jesus had a messenger sent before him like the Messiah did. Jesus was declared the Son of God like the Messiah. Jesus speaks in parables like the Messiah. Jesus preaches like the Messiah. Jesus has authority like the Messiah. Jesus is even hated like the Messiah. And in the text that we're looking at this morning, we see that Jesus unstopped the ears of the deaf like the Messiah, and that Jesus made the mute to sing for joy like the Messiah. And so little by little, St. Mark is revealing to us the remarkable fact, the delightful fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Jesus is indeed that Savior who God had promised to the world. And then at the very end of St. Mark's Gospel, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, and at the end actually of all four Gospels, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that finally clinches the deal, so to speak. It's the resurrection of Jesus which offers the watertight, ironclad, unassailable bit of reasoning that someone might be looking for. Right? Throughout all four Gospels, a cumulative case is being built which points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah promised of old. 
And it's when Jesus rises from the dead and appears to those who had seen him die that his disciples knew full well, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they were dealing with Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And so you see the reality of Jesus, the reality of who he is and what he's done, is something that dawns upon the human soul like the rising sun. As we go farther along, there is greater light, and with that greater light, we find that more is illumined and that more is perceivable. As you know, this idea jives well with what St. Anselm of Canterbury once famously wrote, that phrase, faith-seeking understanding. Faith, which is loving trust in God, leads us to want to discover and learn more and more about God. We desire greater and greater light. Our faith in Jesus causes us to pursue greater and greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And of course, as we want to know more about Jesus, we also want to know more about his Father and more about his Spirit. And so this is what's happening in the life of the disciples as they follow Jesus along through the region of Galilee. They're seeking a greater understanding of who Jesus is based upon the initial trust that they've put in the Lord Jesus. And so in the text that we're looking at this morning, we see that one more truth is added to the growing collection of truths that the disciples have received from Jesus. We're shown that Jesus is the one who can heal deafness and muteness. Someone being mute. He can cause the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. We see this as he engages with a man who is both deaf and mute. Jesus takes the man aside and heals him so that he can both hear and speak. And you know, it's a lovely and it's a miraculous moment which shows the tender love and the tender care of the Lord Jesus. And it also shows us the, the good and the various gifts that Jesus loves to bestow upon needy humanity. And you can only imagine how glad this man would have been when his speech was restored to him and when his hearing was restored to him. And you can only imagine how impressed the disciples would have been to see Jesus do this. And so we would do well to simply conclude that Jesus has great power and that he's a great healer. We would do well to say that better than any ear doctor and better than any eye doctor, or sorry, tongue doctor. Well, eye doctor too, he can heal the blind. <laughs> but better than any doctor, Jesus can heal the deaf and he can heal the mute. It's all true. It's all very true. But I believe that we're missing the full meaning of this text if we do not see that this one particular healing is pointing us towards something more broadly true about Jesus and his work amongst us human beings. You see, God teaches us in his word that physical illnesses are surpassed in severity and seriousness by spiritual illnesses. For example, it's clear in the Bible that God is far more concerned with spiritual uh, deafness than he is with physical deafness. Now, this is not to say that God is unconcerned with our physical well-being, but it is to say that physical illnesses cannot separate us from God and destroy our eternal happiness like a spiritual illness can. Spiritual illnesses, if untreated, lead certainly to eternal misery and separation from God, what we call hell. And so we have a, a picture drawn for us of spiritual deafness uh, in the first lesson that Asher read out for us from the book of the prophet Zechariah. And I quote that to you now. 
But they, that is, the people of Israel, refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. And so these words describe the sort of spiritual deafness that grieves the heart of God. These words describe the sort of spiritual deafness which prevents people from receiving the words of God which lead to eternal life. These words describe the sort of spiritual deafness which Jesus was sent into the world to overcome, that Jesus was sent into the world to heal. Now, the sort of spiritual deafness that we're talking about is not only found in the Old Testament, but it's also found in the New Testament. We have already encountered it a few times in the Gospel of Mark. We see it in the Pharisees, whose deafness seems to be a stubborn sort of deafness, an antagonistic sort of deafness. It seems like the Pharisees are are purposely uh, stopping their ears so that they don't have to listen to the words of Jesus. But we also see deafness in the lives of the disciples. The lack of faith and the lack of understanding that the disciples display throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus shows that they too suffered from a sort of spiritual deafness. And in fact, if we look through the whole Bible, we see that every, every human being, every man, woman, and child suffers from spiritual deafness. But what distinguishes the disciples from the Pharisees is that at a certain point their deafness was overcome. And, to that, and then, to one extent or another, they continued to repent of their spiritual deafness. Right? At a certain point, they could hear the words of Jesus. And then, as Jesus' ministry went on, they got better and better at hearing him. And so the point has been made several times as we've journeyed together through the Gospel of Mark. But I'll make the point again and remind you that Jesus' ministry was a preaching ministry, what you might call a ministry of the word. Jesus came into the world with a message to share. He came into the world with a message that he wanted people to believe in and that he wanted people to embrace. That message is what we call the gospel or the good news. And it's important to remember that this good news was and is ultimately about himself, ultimately about Jesus. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand because he, the king, had come into the world. And Jesus calls for repentance not so that people might just bear down harder on the works of the law with greater effort, but rather he calls for repentance as an invitation to turn towards him, the great redeemer of the world. And so the gospel message is about Jesus, right? It's about himself. And so throughout his ministry, Jesus was preaching and he was overcoming spiritual deafness by causing his words to be heard uh, by people. Now, what we also need to notice is that when spiritual deafness was overcome, spiritual muteness is overcome shortly thereafter. We see this in the life of the disciples. Once they had heard the words of Jesus, they were then shortly thereafter enabled to speak the word of Jesus to others. The Lord Jesus had come to them with a message about the kingdom of God and repentance, and shortly after they heard that, they were sent out into the world to preach that very same message, right? a message about the kingdom of God coming and about repentance. And so this pattern, this pattern which we see in the life of the man who's deaf and mute, and this pattern that we see in the life of the disciples is the pattern of all Christian discipleship. One becomes a disciple, a follower of Jesus, when first they hear the word of Jesus, the gospel, and receive it. 
You could say that someone becomes a disciple when their spiritual deafness is overcome, when the gospel, the word of Jesus, first falls upon their listening ears. The life of the disciple then continues on with constant listening, which then gives way uh, to the healing of spiritual muteness, which means that they then speak the gospel to others. That same gospel that they have received, they then are enabled to speak. And this is why we Christians are so careful to proclaim the gospel moment by moment. We know that the Christian life begins and continues on with the constant hearing of the gospel and the constant listening to of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel Sunday by Sunday in the sermon and then at the Lord's table. We declare the gospel to our children from the youngest of ages, eager that they might hear it and believe it. We proclaim the gospel when we baptize someone. We proclaim the gospel when a man marries a woman. We proclaim the gospel even at the grave, knowing that the good news is still good, even in the face of death. And so from beginning to end, we proclaim the gospel. Now, I just want to take a moment to fully drive home the importance of the gospel. Maybe those inside the church and maybe those outside the church have asked the question, why are Christians so excited about this message? Or to ask it another way, why are Christians so excited about this bit of news? Well, to put the whole thing into context, we Christians believe that humanity is unavoidably predisposed to believe in falsehoods about God. Believing falsehoods about God is what comes naturally to human beings. This is because of humanity's fall into sin and rebellion against God back in the infant stages of the human race. St. Paul describes it well when he writes in his letter to the Romans that they, that is human beings, exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And so you could say that we as Christians are so excited about the good news message of the gospel because we know that it reveals the truth about God to those who have believed lies about God. Right? The gospel sets the record straight. And so because of this, you could say that Christians are kind of like the spiritual journalists of the world. Our interest is in the truth, and our interest is in bringing the true story to the public. We want to dispel spiritual misinformation. To use a term from today, we want to dispel spiritual fake news. Like a responsible journalist, we Christians want to help people overcome their ignorance and prejudice so that they can see things as they are and live their lives accordingly. More specifically, we want to overcome the ignorance and prejudice that people have with regard to God. Like a good journalist, we want we know, sorry, that the truth has the power to liberate, embolden, unite, and gladden. Like a good journalist, we know that the truth has the power to tear down tyrannies, expose the wicked, and to do away with vice. And so I think today's journalists would do well to remember the words of Jesus, who once said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right? We Christians believe that the truth is a very powerful thing, and therefore we're eager to share it with others. And so we see the importance of the gospel. But now the question is, how do we do it? How do we overcome the spiritual deafness of those around us? Well, what I want us to see in our text is that St. Mark is not only showing us that Jesus can overcome spiritual deafness, but also he's showing us how Jesus 
overcomes spiritual deafness. We see first that Jesus uses a variety of means. In the particular instance that we're looking at, Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ear, and then after spitting, touch the man's tongue. Now, this might seem a bit bizarre to us, but the point to be taken away from this method is that it, it's not. It is not a consistent feature of Jesus' ministry. Jesus does not always heal in this way. And so this shows us, on the one hand, that Jesus was not overly consumed by methods. Right? He healed in a variety of different ways, using a variety of different means. But on the other hand, it shows us that something else is at play, namely the word of the Lord spoken with authority. And so if we look at the text, we see that it's only when Jesus says, Ephatha, that the man's ears are open and his tongue is unstopped. The Lord Jesus said, Be opened, and the ears of the man were opened. And so this powerful and effective word of Jesus has profound similarities with the story of creation. In the six days of creation, God uses his word to create the world. Right? God simply says, let there be light. And what happens? There's light. Similarly, similarly Jesus says, be opened, Ephatha, and the man's ears are opened. And so Jesus, who is God, Jesus through whom all things in heaven and on earth were created who could with a single word bring all the cosmos cosmos into being is likewise able to speak a single word and give the deaf their hearing and so we have two lessons here one that Jesus uses a variety of means to overcome deafness and muteness and two that the healing always ultimately rests upon Jesus's word these two lessons are important as we think about spiritual deafness and muteness and as we think about the sharing of the gospel. And so let's begin by realizing together that in our day, Jesus is using a variety of means to spread the word of the gospel near and far. He's using the church, he's using his people. But God, miracle of miracles, also uses those outside the church to preach the gospel sometimes. And he uses people outside the church to drive people into the church. He uses movies and books and tracks and radio stations and personal conversations. He uses evangelistic events and small group Bible studies and book clubs. He uses the old and he uses the young. He uses ordained ministers and he uses lay people. Jesus uses all sorts of means to spread the message of the gospel. You could say, and I hope I'm not being cheesy here, but Jesus' approach to spreading the gospel is a multimedia approach. Jesus encourages us to use a series of media to proclaim the gospel message. Even in today's service, we'll use a variety of media to proclaim the truth about God. Right now I'm using words. Previously we used song, and in a little while we'll use the objects of bread and wine to proclaim the truth about Jesus and what he's done. And so this all means that we as the Church of Jesus Christ can be flexible and creative with regard to our methods. As long as it's the gospel that we're sharing, we can test out new methods and see what God might be pleased to bless. What worked in 18th century England might not work in 21st century Canada. And what works in 21st century Canada might not work in 21st century Sudan or Thailand. But it's important that we understand as we're being creative that through it all, in the billions of instances when God is heard, when his gospel is heard, 
It only has an effect when Jesus speaks the gospel word directly to the heart of a person by the power of his spirit. Our work of spreading and proclaiming the gospel is only effective because Jesus is doing his work of speaking the gospel to the hearts of men, women, and children. This is the only way that we can truly overcome spiritual deafness and muteness. That is with Jesus' help. And you know, that's part of the joy of the whole thing. That we get to partner with the Lord Jesus in doing this great work. And it's a beautiful thing to think that Jesus uses our words, our encouragements, our prayers, our actions to open up the ears of the deaf and to encourage them to speak the gospel. You know, when I read the last few verses of our text, the whole thing reminds me a little bit of a breaking news story. Something incredible and monumental has happened, and so the people want to share it. People back then wanted to go all throughout the surrounding area and tell everybody that they knew about what they had just seen happen. Now, Jesus uh, wasn't quite interested in being front page news at that time. He encourages people to keep it quiet, but they refuse his request, and they start running around sharing the news. Their news was good news, great news, and so they wanted to share it. G.K. Chesterton, a journalist in his own right, once said that journalism largely consists in saying Lord Jones is dead to people who never knew that Lord Jones was alive. Well, I might say that the basic task of Christian journalism consists in saying that the Lord Jesus is alive to people who thought that he was dead. This is the great giddiness, the great joy, the intense pleasure which lies at the heart of the Christian life. We have been given an awfully delicious bit of news which just demands to be shared with others. Some will not want to hear it, some will want to remain deaf, but at the end of the day, only Jesus can heal them of their deafness. And so we simply get to share the good news and leave the healing work to him. Part of our identity, part of who we are as Christians, is that we are that group of people who have had our ears unstopped and our tongues loosened. We've heard the good news, and now we can share it with others. And so we're like the man who was deaf and mute, but who has been healed and who has been empowered to share the good news. We're like him and his friends who then go out into the world and say, Jesus has done all things well. He has done all things well. Amen.